Hello and welcome to Long Ball Premier League Preview Show. I'm Declan DeBarp. And I'm Kostik Kapoor. The race at the top of the table and the bottom of the table is heating up. There's a lot of action to get through, ladies and gentlemen. So let's start the show. Kosti, how are you doing? Thanks so much for coming back on this week. Yeah, no worries. I think this week was actually different than most times because I was uh, requesting and begging to be on the show just because of uh, the Liverpool-Everton game. When I saw it, it's kind of like one of those things when you watch a game and you just have to comment on it. I would have loved to record this show like right after because there was so many emotions then. But I've tried to remember all of them when talking here. You know, they call it the friendly derby, but uh, that game wasn't so friendly. Testy, almost Atletico light in a way. Yeah, Atletico light in a way. And I'm sure we'll dive deep into some action in that game. But it was frustrating enough that uh, it was actually enjoyable. And I know uh, it's the end, later parts of the season. I should just want Liverpool to win sort of 6-0 every game. But this this game was more fun to watch because there was, you know, fight and grit and all those things that... Uh, pundits and sky say yeah yeah it was it was insane and we'll get into it in a little bit but we're gonna start in london we're gonna start with arsenal three manchester united one and this race for the top four the european places is heating right up chelsea obviously beat west ham um uh, on sunday as well and this game a game that manchester united failed to capitalize on west ham's loss they just looked disorganized and Arsenal started red hot a goal within the third minute for Nuno Tavares his first as a gunner and you know it was the same story over and over again defensive mistakes for Manchester United leading to a goal it was shambolic and I don't know how they fixed this Costi I think it was it's somewhat like the Real Madrid uh, City game where City scores so early a couple of goals but after that they sort of calm down and Real Madrid get a grip on the game. So I didn't, I didn't think that uh, United started really bad. They don't have any organization in the defense and they don't have anyone who can talk in defense, which is really hard. Um, even I think I, on the last pod, mentioned that Eric Bailly would be a good addition. But clearly, Ralph Rennick doesn't see uh, something enough to put him in. I, I think even he is not a talker. Uh, I remember Jamie Carragher saying that you need at least one person, even though they are. They might not be the best player in the defense. They need one person to be talking. And for Liverpool, it's Virgil Van Dijk. Uh, for West Ham, it might be Craig Dawson. But there has to be that one person who talks. Varane uh, was always under the shadow of Sergio Ramos, so Varane's not much of a talker. And Harry Maguire is just Harry Maguire. So there's there's that. And Van Bissaka seems like a quiet character, same as Luke Shaw. Whereas if you look at uh, somebody. In, like Liverpool in comparison, you have Robbo who talks, you have Van Dijk who talks, and Matip and Trent are sort of those quiet characters. So you have you have those those people that talk to the defense and you know have the back post covered and and uh, it really should be a midfield tracker. But um, they are running into problems without a central defensive midfielder, um, a proper central defensive midfielder anyway. Um, so it's it is it is rough on United. But they, they had a good second half of the game. They did. They did. And, you know, I think part of that was Ronaldo's quick response to Saka's penalty um, that he converted in the 32nd minute. Ronaldo responded right away in the 34th. And then the second half was basically all united. Bruno obviously missed that penalty. And then Ronaldo had two goals ruled out by VAR. And 
before the the Xhaka third goal to basically ice the game, it was it was United pushing, but you know they they couldn't find the back of the net, and they were undone on the day by their by their mistakes. I think uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. They were undone by their mistakes, which is uh, far too many during a game, which makes the attacker's job really hard because they know even if they score, there's a lead that uh, the backline cannot protect. But uh, the decision to give. Uh, and I don't know who made that decision. Is it something coming from the dress- dressing room? Because uh, Ranik doesn't like how uh, Ronaldo will be remembered in the game of football, whereas Ralph Ranik might not be if you were to compare the two. But it seemed like an ego decision where Bruno Fernandes took a penalty. Ronaldo has uh, a 90-plus percentage scoring rate at penalties. He has been the penalty taker everywhere he's been. From uh, his latter days in United to Real, Juventus, and even uh, even his second stint at United, but the decision for Bruno to pick up the ball and you know score the goal, I, it didn't seem like one of those games where Ronaldo gave the ball to Benzema to score a penalty. I don't know if you remember from his Real Madrid days, he would do that from time to time to keep Benzema's spirits up. This kind of seemed like Bruno doing it all on his own, and it's just that that's just. Why are you doing things that are just far from logic and making sense? You have Cristiano Ronaldo on your team. He has just scored a goal. So, you know, clearly he hasn't lost that touch. And you give the ball to Bruno Fernandes, who's not a penalty taker. Uh, what are you saying, Bruno Fernandes has been the penalty taker at Manchester United since he joined. He has a over 90% penalty conversion but, rate. It's not like Would Bruno- you give it to... Would you give it to Ronaldo over uh, Bruno or any day or no? That's sort of I mean, my point. I mean, pers- personally, I would, but I don't know if, if, like, I don't know what the, the situation is there. And I don't think that you needed to take a cheap shot at Ralph. And I think that Ralph will be remembered in this game. He is the father of modern pressing, if you will. And, you know, I he might not be the right fit at United, but he's not a manager. And I think that, Choosing between Bruno and Ronaldo is like choosing which child is your favorite. I don't think that you can call Bruno a terrible penalty taker when he has over uh, okay, a 90, yeah. 90% I conversion think, rate. But I think if you were to compare like one of the greatest players in the game that is that exists in your football team compared to uh, a guy who is still not a legend of the game, he's still proving himself. I think he had a couple of good seasons at United, but, you know, uh, partially last season and this season sort of waned off. So if you if you just compare those two players and you have both of them on the field, I, I think it's got to be a no brainer. You can you it's if this was Messi and Bruno, uh, given Messi's penalty history, you have to defend Bruno taking the penalty. But because it's Ronaldo and Bruno, you I, I'm not picking a world superstar over Bruno to take penalties just for that reason. I think I come with very sound reasoning that. Ronaldo is by far a better penalty taker with given his sample size of penalties that he's taken. And that's just the point that I think stands true. If Zlatan was in a team, you'd have a tough decision because Zlatan, again, a great penalty taker. I think when Liverpool had Mario Balotelli, he <laughs> wanted to take a lot of the penalties and wasn't given uh, the option to. And, and I, think I remember one of the games where he actually took it away from Jordan Henderson, and there was this whole bust-up on the penalty spot. But I think that was valid because uh, Mario Bellatelli, even though the crazy man he is, he's a better penalty taker. I think 
that's that's all I'm trying to say is over a large sample space, it's clear that Ronaldo is a better penalty taker and uh, he should be given that role if he is on the pitch. Yeah, but it would be one thing if we're saying that Bruno has not been the long established penalty taker for United. And, you know, it's it is his second miss this season and him and Ronaldo have been sharing been sharing penalty duties. But Bruno himself is what four percentage points behind Ronaldo in terms of uh, career conversion. And I'm not saying any of this to to diss Ronaldo, because I think that he is the best finisher the game has seen. Maybe ever. I, I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to say ever, but maybe ever. He is, is a sensational player. But if Bruno was stepping up with the confidence to take it, I think that if he grabs the ball first and the two of them are splitting duties, then we're really we're really picking at straws here. And I mean, the problem wasn't that the that the penalty didn't go in. It obviously would have changed the complexion of the game. But United didn't look like a cohesive mass. They they didn't look like they could quite figure it out. And I think that that was evident in the Tavares goal. It was evident in the Xhaka goal, and it was evident in the penalty they gave away. So I think at the end of the day, United have to look inwards as to um, the problems that they created. Yeah, and I agree. Um, Just finishing off that penalty point, I think uh, the fact of sharing penalty duties, again, is is something that shows the poor management of Ralph Rannick. No, it's it's like when Liverpool tried to share managerial duties. It, stuff like that just doesn't work. Don't try it. Uh, don't try and reinvent something that's been going well. That's that's only that's only my point here. Is is if it's you need to have a like you need to put your foot down and give somebody this penalty duty. It's clear in each team who's going to be taking the penalty depending on who's on the pitch, and that's that sort of works well. Um, so uh, I think. Just not being a cohesive unit, that's one of the factors I feel like that contribute to uh, Ralph Rannick's, dem- not demise, but his his being average at Man United. He's, being, he's been average at Man United at best, and that's what it is. But you're right, um, they never looked like a cohesive unit, uh, United, in these past few months. They've been uh, all over the place, especially defensively. And I think even in attack, they they have... They, their identity is sort of missing. I know uh, Rennie tried to introduce the high press here at United, but then he met up with characters like that of uh, Paul Pogba and, and couldn't really manage to get them all into that pressing mentality. So he he dropped back and and uh, tried to make a counterattacking team that uh, you know is swift and the breaks has crisp passes through midfield, uh, one touch plays, but that's sort of even missing. Uh, I would say so. Yeah, you're you're totally right that they they need to look inwards and they need to make an uh, a long a long overhaul. What do you feel about uh, Eric Ten Hag coming in? I, I don't know if we talked about this last week. I can't remember. It was on the first half of last week's show. Last week's show okay. was a doozy. I I think that it can be successful. I I, I urge everyone to go back and um, give it a listen. There was uh, a lot of good points that me and Ollie Carpenter uh, made. We broke down his exact style, but. Really quickly, I think that if Ragnick stays and moves upstairs, which it's looking like he's going to, and and if he's trusted, and if the system around him is improved, I think that Ten Hag can be a success. He's shown that he is flexible in the way that he can set up his teams. 
but it's a lot of the same characteristics that Ragnick employs. You know, United under Ten Hag are going to play with a high press. That's how he's defended at Utrecht. It's how he defended at Go Ahead Eagles. It's how he defended at Bayern too. So I think that we can expect that um, from United. And the players just kind of need to get on board. We can say that Ragnick tried to implement it and he was he ran into a wall of, of players who didn't want to comply with it. But at the end of the day, that might speak to Ragnick as a manager, but it, I think it also speaks to the cancer that this dressing room is. And if they can't press, you can't play the modern game. Can you name me a squad that doesn't press, that doesn't press high? Maybe Burnley, but even then Burnley still press. There's no mm-hmm. team that doesn't press in the modern game. And this rejection of this idea, I think, is foolish by United. Ten Hag yeah, can think- implement an, an ideology that I think this club that, that I think this club needs, but Ten Hag also needs a well-run machine, which United aren't. Yeah, I think uh, United were going to appoint a new uh, scouting lead um, who's been all around the world and has done great work, and that's sort of a starting point that they're looking at to revamp this backroom staff and up. And that's going to be interesting to see sort of how long Ten Hag gets in the job, how much he's able to adapt to the Premier League because it is one of the tougher leagues in the world, if not the toughest. I know there's argument about that. But yeah, the only team that I can really think that's that doesn't press high and is, is a well-known team is probably Atletico. But that's yeah. uh, that's because they have Diego Simeone. But uh, yeah, you're right. They they need to get on board, and I think a lot of players that are out of contract or getting out of contract need to be sort of moved on. And and uh, yeah, that's that's just the nature of the game. I think if they move on, players like that of Paul Pogba. I know I know Pogba is a uh, a controversial figure, and I just think I just think he doesn't work in United. I still think he's a great player, but. Uh, yeah, they need to move on. Jesse Lingard, they need, need to move on a lot of dead weight at the club and uh, sort of really rebuild, I think, the way um, maybe the, the way Liverpool did. If you look at uh, Klopp's first starting 11 in 2015, it's just, uh, yeah, th- that that's that's what needs to happen. And they need to give, you know, uh, Ten Hag a solid three, four years. Uh, of rebuilding, maybe uh, look at uh, their neighbors in Arteta and and see how he's been given uh, that much time. And you know they're looking like a like a good team with a with a solid uh, front line and and a decent back line. And their midfield needs uh, I think a couple additions, but other than that, they're really good to go. Yeah, and let's talk about Arsenal here. What do you think it is that Arteta has done that's gotten the squad ticking? I mean, you think back to the beginning of the season and. Arsenal looked lifeless. They lost their first two games, including a game against Norwich, if my memory serves me correctly. And it's night and day. This squad looks like it's pushing for third in the Premier League. Obviously, Chelsea kept pace. They have a game in hand and are five points ahead of Arsenal. But, you know, Chelsea looked to be faltering, and we'll come on to them in just a moment here. But Arteta has got this Arsenal squad working. Uh, Obviously, to do with Arteta, but also... Uh, the development of the younger players in in Saka, Smithrow, and uh, and you have Martinelli coming in. I think that's that's one of the few things that 
he's done really well understanding Arsenal's limits in the in the transfer market, knowing that you know they might not be able to attract the the players that they want to. They had their biggest signing leave them this summer, um, um, but. Uh, and, and I think that that's something that he's done really well. And, and the board has given him enough time for to let his uh, philosophy um, take place. I think when player when fans get frustrated with the manager, like they were with Arteta for for a while there, I think the board sometimes, if they believe in a project, need to give it time and not look uh, look to please always because they believe in something that's bigger. Uh, and better to come, and I think that's that's one of the things. And and I really like Arteta not uh, allowing for uh, bullshit. Uh, pardon my French in his squad. I think one of the one of the things that came out when he was manager was he had these ten rules that you can't. Uh, the same with Xavi at uh, Barcelona, but he had some some ten odd rules that you had to follow. And if you were late to training, you were you know reprimanded the right way. And and you know we saw that with Aubameyang, it just didn't click. Even though Obama is doing great at Barcelona, maybe it was just Obama not wanting to be at Arsenal. But, you know, there were things that he was doing and probably uh, Arteta didn't help that situation either. But, you know, Arteta is the manager and he was able to put his foot down that, you know, I don't want this player. And, and if you don't comply, you don't play with me. And I think things like that and discipline and, and respect also really matter because if you don't respect uh, the manager, there's no point. And you really see that at uh, City, you really see that at Liverpool when players talk about the manager, it's with the utmost respect. I think the things like things like that when uh, when you talk about uh, even United uh, and the culture changing, that's the, that's the sort of change you need uh, when you want to overhaul a club and, and make it great again. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely, I completely agree. And I think one thing that he's instilled in him is the way that he played as a manager, like when he was a player at Arsenal, and that is discipline and it is experience and it's being calm and cool under pressure, which I think is something that we saw throughout this game. And there were times when Arteta seemed to be under fire, but it seems like he's gotten this squad ticking. And I think that the lesson to take from Arsenal is time because how many times, how many times did we talk about Arteta being, you know, washed or not up or not up for it or the dressing room's gone. And, you know, he's fought the whole time. And I think that some respect needs to be given to Mikel Arteta for the job that he's done, because it's one thing to have talents like, Saka and uh, Odegaard and Martinelli and Smith Rowe. But it's another thing to develop them into talents that can perform week in, week out consistently. And that's something that these Arsenal players can do and all credit to them. Let's move on, though, to the blue side of London and Chelsea. One nothing winners against West Ham. Chelsea keep pace in the battle for the top three, the top four, whatever you want to say. Five points, as I said, ahead of Arsenal with a game in hand, though this game, not the most convincing from Chelsea. I watched this game alongside the Formula One uh, race on Sunday, and it was a dreadful performance from Chelsea. They did not look like they could break West Ham's low block. It was a heavily rotated hammer squad, something I was really happy to see. And we'll get on to some of the uh, European chat in a little bit. But Rice, Antonio, Bowen, and Lanzini all didn't start on the day. 
Saeed Benrama started at striker, Yarmolenko on the right, and uh, Pablo Fornals on the left. And Chelsea, if you ignore their penalty, only generated 1.74 expected goals. Um, that's in non-penalty XG, and they really didn't have a good chance before Craig Dawson was sent off in the 88th minute, which, in my opinion, was never a red card. It was completely bought, and while I think the penalty was was for certain, the the red card is something that we can debate. But Chelsea, they seem to be teetering, Costi. Yeah, with with Chelsea, I think uh, I think it's been it's it's been apparent in the last later uh, latter half of the season that uh, they're wavering a bit. They their attacking prowess is sort of lacking with uh, three in the defense, which is sort of weird because except for the Roman Abramovich uh, news, nothing's really changed at Chelsea. So I, I'm I'm always interested in what happened and what changed because if you look at uh, if you look at maybe the problems at Man City and them not being able to finish some of the great chances that they make, you know, that's the conversation that we've been having for a while. Same with uh, Liverpool when last season they didn't have centre-backs. You know, it's a clear reason why they're not playing well. I, I quite don't understand what's going on with uh, Chelsea's attack because in the first half of the season, they, you know, they were doing really well and they were, quote-unquote, in the title race and, and whatnot. But it sort of wavered off. And that is maybe what we're seeing. Um, but it could be a collective uh, dip in form. But it all started happening after the Roman Abra, uh, uh, Abramovich news. And, you know, I, I don't get the relation between the two because your manager had to change. So um, why are you wavering like that? But I think in this game, uh, Chelsea did not play well and maybe only deserved a point because I don't think West Ham particularly played well either. But they didn't, and yeah. I think a draw would have been the fair result. Um, the changes up top when you saw, you know, Lukaku come uh, come off and Timo Werner, who I thought had a really good game, uh, come off, just spoke to a Chelsea that couldn't break through a rotated West Ham squad. And I'm not saying that West Ham deserved the win on the day, but I thought a draw would have been a, a much fairer result, whether whether you want to argue with me or not, you you can, but... And I might have my biases, I obviously do, but I thought that Chelsea did not look like a team that really had the necessary necessary quality on the pitch. It just was a, a lackluster performance, and all of this upheaval is uh, not going to do Chelsea any good, especially when you consider that West Ham only had one fit center back who got sent off. It was it was just a dreadful performance uh, from from Chelsea and. Not necessarily a good one from West Ham, who I think have their eyes set on the Europa League. But Costi, let's move our eyes forward to the game that we brought you on to talk about. Liverpool 2, Everton 0. Some quick thoughts on the game. One word thoughts. Very difficult. Gritty performance. And passionate celebrations. I think those are my three sort of phrases I would describe this game with um, at halftime. I think I, I was watching, I think it was sky or, you know, the, the, the commentators you get, the analysts you get with the zone in Canada. And uh, um, I think it was, it was, it, it might've been um, 
I can't remember, who, but one of the pundits said, "Yeah, what do you want uh, Everton to do? Just roll over and and let Liverpool score six. And that really defined the first half. Uh, Everton did really well. The ball was only in play for 28 minutes of that first half, and that's how much time was wasted. Pickford was falling in stages. Um, really interesting and then getting up and winking at the players and uh, for the national camera to see. Uh, that was really how I would define the first half. Liverpool were really slow in transition and that's really what killed us. We um, There were times where Joel Matip had the ball. He took three touches before putting it out wide for our wide players to make their magic and that really killed us. And I think uh, Jürgen came out after the game saying, yeah, that's what we did sort of wrong in the first half. We were just really slow in transition. When we would get the ball, we would let them settle back into their uh, defensive shape. And all credit to Chelsea on that. They did really well in in making it really hard for Liverpool to score. Uh, they, didn't ex- they didn't play well uh, aside from that first half. I think uh, once we scored that goal, uh, the game got uh, open a little and they had a few half penalty shouts and uh, uh, they had a few chances down that left wing but except for that they didn't uh, they didn't do much in the game i it was one of those games where i was really frustrated in the first half because obviously there's a title on the line and we didn't play too well but uh, i wasn't extremely concerned uh, and i'm not extremely concerned these days just given our bench and i think uh, uh, i think the conversation of luis diaz on the left wing is just becoming more and more prominent now and I think that we'll come on to Liverpool's bench and, and the changes made by Klopp in just a little bit. But I do want to talk about that Everton performance. And, you know, you say they didn't play well, but I think Everton set up exactly how they needed to. It was a really tough set Sunday for them. I don't want to say they got trounced in this game, but it they clearly had a tactical setup that I think Everton, that Lampard, that Lampard wants to continue forward. It is pragmatic. It is all eyes on defense. And you have to target games when when you're down at the wrong end of the table. And when you have to play Liverpool, Manchester City, these squads, you can't go out and you can't fight for it. You know, I think that they're that Everton were at their best when they sacrificed everything and were decided that they were going to defend, defend, defend. And the player that really stood out to me was Decore. He had an excellent 45 minutes marking Thiago. Almost took him out of the game completely. Forced Liverpool to play the way that Everton wanted them to play. They were forced into playing down that right-hand side uh, with Salah, with Trent. But that was also a side where you had Anthony Gordon and Alex Awobi and Milanovski, who I thought really had had a good debut in the derby for Everton. And forcing Liverpool to play wide, to not play centrally, and I think that that's what you have when you, that's the problem you have when you play with uh, a false nine that teams can mark you out like that. And I thought Salah looked okay on the day. He didn't look his best. Trent looked a little bit suspect, especially on the defensive end when marking Anthony Gordon, who, who had a good game for Everton. But Lampard has shown how he's going to set up for the, for the remainder of the season when he plays against these big, big squads. And it was Atletico-like. It was, let's shut up shop and let's defend, and let's look to hit on the counter with direct, long balls. And I want to throw a stat at you. Everton completed 32 passes in the first half, the lowest in Premier League history since Opta started keeping track of passes. 
32 passes. That's and I'll pitiful. raise you that Alan only had one completed pass in the entire game. One completed pass in the entire game. Yep. Everton set up defensively. Do you think that that defensive setup can carry them forward? I think uh, that defensive setup for the rest of the season in games like this can be okay, but but notwithstanding Burnley's performances, because Burnley, if they keep winning games, you could defense, defend really well against these big games, but that's sort of the only games Everton have got left. They, uh, I'm going to check their schedule now, but uh, from what I remember us talking, they, they have quite a few difficult games still to go. Uh, but in, in Leicester and even Arsenal. So, you know, it, it might be able to work. Uh, and Chelsea, their next two games are Chelsea and Leicester. And that's, that's sort of my point is, sure, you could, uh, you could get a couple of points, maybe, uh, unlikely, but maybe you could get a couple of points defending like this. But I think they need to have a better idea of what they do in transition. I can't expect Anthony Gordon to just carry them into a half penalty shout each game. And I think that's, well, they really that's have, my They point. really have to target games. They need, a to- they need three points from Watford. They need three points from Brentford. And they need a point from Crystal Palace. I think seven points is enough to keep them up. Especially you when so? you when you consider how bad Burnley are. And Burnley have a much easier run in through the end of the season. Watford this weekend, a game we'll come on to in the second half of the show. Aston Villa, Spurs, Aston Villa again, and Newcastle. That is that's Burnley's schedule down the end of the season. There's winnable games in there, especially against Aston Villa, who's in 15th, and you know, even Newcastle, who are flying high in ninth, have won their last four, but Burnley undefeated in their last three, two wins on the bounce. It's not looking good for Everton. It's not looking good at all. And getting points from games like this is crucial. And you're going to do that by setting up and admitting that you're not the better team. That I think that that's something that Frank Lampard has struggled in the past, but I think he got his setup right this time. I think so too. I, I think he got his setup right this time. And the problem with this setup is sort of, 50, it's always 50, 50. Um, you might be able to get a point on that day, but you're most likely not getting three. And that's, uh, I think if they could have uh, a better understanding of what they would do in transition, I, I would like this a bit more because you need to have a, you need to have a chance to get um a point at a team like this. And for that, you might have to score a goal. And um, in that game, except for the two brilliant Anthony Gordon runs, uh, they didn't really have any real chance to trouble Allison. But setting up, uh, setting up against a Liverpool team who hasn't lost the game since December 28th, 2021, is always going to be a difficult task. Yes. Agreed. And, and that's what that I, I praise uh, them for their first half performance and setting up the way they did. Uh, I, I just I would just like to see that one addition where they have a better idea of what to do in transition because they might need to score a goal uh, against Chelsea, um, Arsenal or Leicester. And that's they, they will struggle with that, especially given uh, Chelsea's back three and, and potentially Leicester's back three as well. But I totally appreciate what they did in first in the first half because 
you come to Liverpool, you're down in the relegation battle. There's no way you try and play expensive at a team like Liverpool. It's a tough task. So they frustrated us. And that was a really fun game to watch. I think I'm, I might not, I should not be uh, relishing these, these games at this part of the season, but it was, it was, it felt like a Derby game. There was fights, there was uh, tough situations that you know all the players had to deal with they made it really hard to the best of their abilities which was good to see because otherwise uh, we would have seen a rollover game and that's that's never fun to watch yeah the not so fun friendly derby and i think that that is going to be the key you make you create a siege atmosphere if you're frank lampard and everton you make team you make it difficult for teams to break you down and everton's home performance under frank lampard has never been under doubt so uh Maybe that's their tactic, tackle the home games uh, like you were fighting for your life and you need to get all three points, whereas away from home, you shut up shop and you just try and go for a point. And some games, it'll work. Some games, games it won't work. But um, that's probably their best shot at staying up in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. And I just want to talk about Divock Origi and his almost instant impact when coming on to the pitch. He gave Liverpool this different life. He gave... He, he, the ability for him to change the way he, the, the whole squad plays, I think, is something that Liverpool are really going to miss if and when, he, if or when he leaves next year. Divock Origi is like this. Uh, so it's, it's funny because uh, the day before, I was talking to a couple of Liverpool fans and we were all like, yeah, I think uh, Divock hasn't, we haven't seen him in, in months and, you know, we don't even know if he trains with us, but he'll play. He'll play tomorrow. He'll, he'll, we were all thinking he's going to start tomorrow because uh, Jurgen is one of those managers that does believe in, you know, these weird fate and and those types of things, you know. So it, it wasn't a shock when uh, he was brought on uh, to the field because that's that's just Jurgen for you. You 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 get what you see on the field. You get these like emotional decisions in football as well, which is which is fun to see, but. Yeah, he, he changes the way Liverpool can play because we do then get a target man that we can, you know, put the ball into. And I think the, for the first goal, the assist that he gave, I I, I do think that uh, uh, Firmino can give that assist as well. But just hanging up balls into the box and hoping for Divock to score is something that we miss with Firmino. We have to play maybe on the ground a little bit more. Uh, and that's something that uh, he he changes for Liverpool and gives us a target man. I think uh, I haven't seen the same Divock Origi that we saw before his injury, his ACL injury against Everton. And that is really sad to see because the player that was developing uh, in that season was a player that had all of that and had the pace to beat defenders. And I think that's... Uh, uh, that's something that I would like to see his development. Maybe I think the talk is for him to go to AC Milan next year. And I would like to see that for him because he's a, uh, he's a great finisher. Uh, and we see that in his two touch finishes in the box. It's uh, it's just, he has lost a lot of pace after that ACL injury. And that's, uh, that's why I believe he's not been included quite regularly into the squad. Yeah. And if you ask any, uh, any of the Rossonieri, all they know is that they need some goals. Uh, AC Milan have not been able to score this season. So they chased down their first Scudetto in almost a decade. 
But uh, that's neither here nor there. Costi, we're just going to get into some very, very quick thoughts on the Champions League, Europa League, and Conference League action before we head into halftime. So really quickly, your thoughts on Manchester City 4, Real Madrid 3. Man, what a game. Just I was I was actually at a at an office space yesterday and and I was just, I just put it on not really hoping to see such a fun game because I was like you know City are just gonna just gonna roll Real Madrid over but Real Madrid have uh, you know have this thing in the Champions League where uh, Benzema comes to life uh, Vinicius Junior comes to life they get. Uh, that really odd penalty shot that you might not get in other games because UEFA's penalty rules are slightly different from the Premier League's penalty rules, and and it's somehow it's four three, whereas it should have been maybe six two at best because uh, because Man City had so many chances that they squandered away, and you could see Pep on the sideline going crazy at two nil when they missed a couple of chances with Riyad Mahrez and Gabriel Jesus. Uh, and just an open end-to-end, no defensive game, which is really fun to watch as a neutral. Yeah, it is. I uh, only caught the highlights, and I mean, when I edit this, I'm going to go and put the game on in the background, but it's the night that football came. This is why we love the sport, a 4-3 event. Kevin De Bruyne, goal checkmark. Benzema, goal checkmark. And over 2.5 goals. My wallet was happy that night as well. It was a it was a great game. And I mean, not enough has been talked about Benzema, obviously, on this podcast. But I think in his long history, he's a complicated figure. But this season, when he starts for Real Madrid, he scores. He's going to win the Ballon d'Or. And he was the main man last night. It was it was a special, special game. And I look forward for the reverse leg in Manchester Let's talk about the yellow submarines and the reds. Villarreal versus Liverpool that tonight. What can we expect from this game, Costi? I would like to see a little bit of a changed Liverpool side um, because I think as good as Thiago is, he's still injury prone and I would like to see him maybe bow out for this game and someone like a Curtis Jones start with with Navi Keita uh, to protect Thiago. Aside from that, uh, I think we'll go with a relatively unchanged lineup. Uh, and that I say that given that our front five, one of the three, uh, three of the five will definitely start. I haven't quite kept up with Unai Emery's uh, Real this season, but they've had some great performances at uh, uh, UV and Bayern. So uh, they are definitely a threat. And, uh, you know, Henderson was talking about uh, chatting with Alberto Moreno before the game and uh you know they're excited to to go there he was trying to get some insights but moreno did not uh did not oblige and uh honest quite honestly i just i have watched them in the champions league and they look like a side that can give you trouble and know how to defend which is a deadly combination so i'm excited for this game but i i hope we win i think we'll win i i sort of since jürgen has been at the helm it's and we've been doing really well it's one of those feelings that you just have that you're going to win and you never think otherwise. Yeah, and I think that uh, you should always be a little bit nervous to bet against Villarreal. Villarreal has, have given up the, uh, the league in full effort of winning the Champions League. Obviously, last season's Europa League winners, and I think that it should be a good game. You know, They're coming in confident. They won 2-0 over Valencia on the weekend. Uh, a good squad, but also a rotated squad. But 
lastly, a squad made up of North London boys, LaCelso, Foyth, Capoue. Uh, Take your pick. There's a ton of players who know the Premier League, who know um, what to expect. And, you know, obviously we must remember the insane season that Samuel Chiquese is having for for the the Yellow Submarines. It should be a good game. I'm quite excited to watch it. And don't forget Liverpool, ex-Liverpool player, Alberto Moreno, who plays for Villarreal. It should be a good one. That goes Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. We don't want to get too into it because by the time this comes out, you'll already have known the result. Let's talk about Thursday's game really quickly. Frankfurt travel to the London Stadium to play West Ham. The managers have been barging back and forth. West Ham fully invested in what the Europa League holds for them. Kossi, what do you think? In all honesty, uh, I have been uh, quite far from the Europa League, given that, uh, you know, I live play in the Champions League. If you heard of the distinction between the two, I know you have. But uh, <laughs> I hope that West Ham win. That's, that's the only contribution I have for this game. Because uh, I, I love West Ham as a club, and I would like to see them win a trophy. I would also love West Ham to win a trophy. They've never done it in my lifetime. They've gotten pretty close, but your Liverpool broke my heart. Um but it should be a good game. I think that Frankfurt are very tough opposition. Shouldn't be slept on. They have they have some very good players in uh, Andre Silva who can definitely score. And this Frankfurt squad is good in Europe. You know, you think back to when they made the final against Chelsea. I can't remember what year. I, I want to say 2018 or 2019. Um, but they've rebuilt uh, a solid core that can come into this game and perform. It should be a good one. The first game, obviously, going in London, as I said, next Thursday, they'll be in the beautiful city of Frankfurt for that for that one. Lastly, let's just touch on the Europa Conference League, you know, seen as a tournament that not many teams wanted to play in. But now that we're in the business end, I think that uh, it's something that managers want to win. And you saw Mourinho almost getting into a fight with the Bodo Glimpse manager who is in talks to become Burnley manager, that being uh, rumored. And Leicester, little old Leicester, their struggle of a season, they play Roma. This one should be a good game. Costa, do you have any brief thoughts on this? Uh, I think uh, I would like to see Mourinho win a trophy as much as I I enjoy Brendan's work at Leicester. I think it's going to be a great game with... uh, with Roma and Leicester playing in the Conference League. But I, if I were to pick somebody that I'd like to see win this small trophy, and I say small because, honestly, I, except for these, the fans of these teams, I don't know who's watching it in the world, but I, I would pick Roma, and I would like to see them win, the, win this Conference League. Clearly, you haven't been watching enough of Syria. Uh, Roma have, uh, have been up and down in form. I don't know what Roma to expect this weekend, so it should, or this Thursday, rather, it should be a good one. Uh, my money's on Leicester, but I think that anyone can take this game. And with that, we'll head into halftime for a word from our sponsors. Do you want to learn English? Do you want to play games based on the analysis you lead on the Mastermind site? Then go check out Footy Lingo. Whether you're new to football or have been following it for some time, learning about the beautiful game can be hard and confusing sometimes. But Footy Lingo is here to help. It's an online language learning system for football lovers. You'll play games, read articles, and learn more about football all at once as you improve your English reading, writing, and speaking skills. 
All you have to do is go to the Footy Lingo link in the description and use code MASTERMINDSITE at checkout for 20% off any subscription plan. That's MASTERMINDSITE for 20% off your first order on any subscription plan on Footy Lingo. And now, let's get back to the show. Thank you, Footy Lingo, for your continued support of the Long Ball Premier League preview show. Costi, let's get into the second half of this. Two games to preview here. Burnley-Watford is the one we start with, a bottom-of-the-table clash. burnley this is a game that they've been that they've had circled on their calendar for quite some time. Currently outside of the drop zone are Burnley on 31 points. Nine points separate them and Watford. This one at Vicarage Road. Watford haven't won at Vicarage Road in 10 games, the longest stretch in Premier League history. Burnley looking to further extend their lead over Everton, who play Chelsea, Chelsea on the weekend. Costy, is your money? Tell me why your money's on Burnley and why not on Watford? Yeah, not on Watford, who are just torrid at home. Yeah, I think the sacking the manager syndrome is probably one of the things that uh, brings my money onto Burnley. It's it's this weird phenomenon where you sack a manager and the team sort of comes alive and starts playing well and getting results. And you saw that with a surprise result at Wolves where they won 1-0 with 35% possession and five shots on net. I think something like that gives them the confidence they need to go and produce a result in the relegation battle that they're in with uh, with Watford. I think Watford in general have just been poor and they're, there's, uh, they're, they're basically ready to be relegated and I'd be... I'd be surprised if they pick up a result here because I I think Burnley are stronger in defense and now somewhat producing goals as well with their recent 2-0 win against uh, Southampton and 1-0 against Wolves. So I, I, I'd say Watford, are you with... The, I, I'd say Burnley, are you with Watford, Declan? Uh, I'm not with Watford. I think only a, a dumb man would be with Watford. Burnley have the easier run, and I think that they're going to stay up this season, which, you know, if you're an Evertonian, that must hurt to hear. But Burnley seems to be turning it on at the right time. Vot Veghorst has remembered that he is a Champions League quality striker. This squad, I think, has what it needs to get over the line. And when I was talking to Burnley Express reporter Dan Black, Last weekend, that was uh, that was the point he made. You know that this squad has the qualities that they've needed to stay up, and you know Sean Dyche has had a tough time, and other parts of the squad have have struggled for investment. But bringing in uh, the likes of Vert Veghorst has really rejuvenated this Burnley squad, and it was it was a miraculous win at Wolves. You know, you mentioned the possession, and I'm not so convinced that possession is everything, but Mataya Vidra scored a beauty of a goal. Um, and when you look at the shots, they played relatively well on the counter as well. So I think that this one should be tasty. Burnley looking to, as I said, extradite themselves from the bottom of the table. And if you're Everton, you got to be watching this match. If you're Everton, just hold your breath and expect Watford to produce something out of the bag and beat Burnley. Because if Burnley win here, they are primed to stay up, in my opinion. And I'm sure that you don't have money on Everton beating Chelsea. <laughs> Everton beating Chelsea again. Something of a wonder that we need uh, seventh, eighth, ninth wonder of the world for them to beat 
uh, a team like Chelsea. And even though they, you know, had a narrow win against West Ham, they still have way too much firepower for uh, a team like Everton. Um, I will point out that um, if Frisius James comes back into their attacking lineup, not necessarily defensive. So if he plays uh, right wing back and not right uh, central, uh, central defender, I think it's game over where before it started because Marcos Alonso on the left has got that attacking powers. And you, and that's the, that's sort of the defining factor. I feel like in a, in a three man defense, if you don't have attacking wingbacks, uh, you can say, uh, goodbye to a lot of goals. And that's, uh, they've been, they've been missing that. They've been playing with a, uh, a disrupted back five in the past couple of games. And it really does show when they, Obviously, they had the uh, they had an idea to put uh, Aspilicueta in right wing back when Reese James was on the field, and that was an interesting decision. But I think that's the only miss that they have, uh, along with uh, their star uh, centre back, who's a little bit crazy. But <laughs> uh, I think I think given that Mount uh, Loftus Cheek, uh, Kai Havertz, Hakim Ziyech, all being fit. I don't see a problem uh, other than Reese James not being able to play right wing back. Yeah, no, I think that uh, Everton need a point this weekend, and uh, especially given who Burnley have to play, it's not looking promising for them. Let's move on to the other game this weekend, though, and that's West Ham hosting Arsenal. It should be a very good game. That one going Sunday at 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. Costi, I don't know if we're going to be expecting a rotated squad against West Ham. That one just before the this one just before the second game against our Eintracht Frankfurt. That one going on May 5th. We've seen that David Moyes is happy to sacrifice the Premier League in this one. And especially given the way that tomorrow's game goes against Eintracht Frankfurt. I wouldn't be surprised to see a weakened West Ham squad. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think West Ham squad will be rotated just the way it was in this weekend's game. Uh, I'm not quite sure if it'll be rotated more if they win or lose. That's something that, uh, you know, if, is it better that they, if they win, they rotate more so they can win again? Or if they lose, they need to rotate more because they definitely need to win. Not quite sure, but for sure it'll be a, uh, rotated squad and given United struggles, I think they could, they could even bag sixth with a rotated squad anyway. So they, yeah, less to, less to sort of worry about. Maybe, you know, maybe United don't win the last four games and, and West Ham somehow pulls up to sixth. but, uh, but West Ham definitely going for the Europa League and rightly so, because after Frankfurt, they don't have, uh, they, they have that final and that that's it. So it's, it's not a bad, uh, not a bad way to look at ending your season. And if you look at West Ham's four remaining Premier League games, it is Norwich, Manchester City, and Brighton. So definitely opportunities to take a point, even with a rotated squad. Um, that final going would go in between the Manchester City and Brighton game on May 18th. But I think that West Ham, West Ham are all in on winning a trophy this season because, you know, when you talk... When you go back and you look at seasons, yes, you're going to remember the seasons you finished sixth. You're going to remember the seasons you finished fifth and fourth. But what really stands out in your mind are the seasons where you win trophies. And this United squad is within reach. And United have a 
tough run into the end of the season. You know, they play Chelsea tomorrow. They play Brentford next week, Brighton, Crystal Palace, Liverpool, and Crystal Palace again. So it's not the easiest of run-ins down at the end of the season for United, you know, opportunities for West Ham to take points where United maybe falter and they could buy their berth into the Europa League once again through that. But I think West Ham want to find their way into the Champions League. You know, the, we were promised European nights at the London Stadium. As things stand, we're on for more European nights in the Conference League. But I think West Ham has larger ambitions and they're trying to convince Declan Rice to stay. Declan Rice has turned down a third contract, this one reportedly worth £200,000 a week, um, because the the young Englishman wants to look further afield. But I think it's West Ham's duty to sell the uh, sell what we are doing here at the London Stadium, sell what we're doing in Stratford. And that means performing week in, week out at the highest level, at the highest competitions and I think that this West Ham squad really has the ability to do that. But do you think that I'm crazy for thinking that it's possible that West Ham go all the way and buy a berth into the Champions League through the Europa League? No, I, I definitely possible. And I think that's what they have to look for now as well, because there is no way they're getting into the Champions League uh, through the league. So, you know, uh, given that you have, uh, you know, two semifinals and a final to play, uh, I think you have to. I think you have to go for that more than going for uh, maybe six. That's even not maybe not unrealistic, but it's really hard given their gap between points in uh, United and West Ham. So I think it's way smarter to go for this and not not try and go for the league anyway. So totally makes sense. Play Mark Noble in midfield and and rest uh, Rice uh, for the semifinal. And especially given how this Mark Noble's last season um, we plan on doing here at the Long Ball Premier League Preview Show, uh, a tribute to Mark Noble. Uh, expect a full episode to go out uh, a little bit later on that one, selling the cards a little bit. But uh, Mark Noble, a player who has meant so much to me um, as a young West Ham fan, and I'm, I'm getting teary-eyed even thinking about him leaving uh, so definitely going is he to be retiring after, or is he playing he's, going for another league? He's no, he's re- he's retiring at the end of the season. The one man club, the one club man, and you know we wish him best, and hopefully we can end off the season with him lifting the Europa League title. But let's talk about Arsenal for a little bit. We talked about some of the ways that they were that they managed to beat Chelsea. Do you see Arsenal continuing that form and beating West Ham on the season? Who's going to be the difference man for that Arsenal squad? If it's not Bukayo Saka, I'll leave my words. But uh, I think Bukayo Saka, he's the he's the one player. If he's out of the squad, they look uh, they look quite diminished, and that's because of his pace, his agility, and honestly, his strength. He has got this weird strength to hold up the ball, being a tiny human that he is. Uh, it's 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 crazy to see how well he can keep a hold of that football that's fizzed into him aerially or on the ground. And that's that really helps them transition from midfield to attack and gives time for players like Odegaard, Martinelli, Smithrow, Lacazette, and Katia to come forward and join the attack. And he's he's sort of that main man. I know Odegaard uh, can uh, bring those passes and and you know make beautiful plays, but without Saka, I think they do struggle. 
I think what Saka is really good at is reading the game and knowing exactly where he needs to put the his body in between the ball at all times. It's one of the smartest players that we've seen um, wear an Arsenal shirt. And in a long time, he's, he can finish. He can he can read the game well, and he's he's a true asset to this Arsenal squad. I, I don't think it's crazy to think that uh, he is the difference man in this game, especially against the West Ham back line that will be without the uh, services of Craig Dawson in this game, serving a one-game suspension after pulling down uh, Romelu Lukaku. But, Costi, that'll do it for the main preview. Let's head into stoppage time and preview all of the games this weekend with our quick thoughts. So it's stoppage time now, and I know we haven't done this segment in a little while, so just a quick refresher for you listening at home. We're going to go back and forth, running down every single game to give our quick thoughts and predictions ahead of this weekend's matchups. And we start with the game on Thursday, Manchester United at Chelsea. This one should be a very good game, one that I think that Chelsea should take easily. They'll exploit Manchester United's feeble defensive uh, products, but I think it should be a good game. Both teams really struggling uh, right now with their form, but I'm going Chelsea three to one. This one, another repeat of the Arsenal result and one where Manchester United just can't get their feet under them. Costi, tell me a little bit about what you expect ahead of Liverpool at Newcastle. Newcastle coming in up to ninth place. They have a very good record in the past few games, but Liverpool are going for a title. And I think we win this game for one about the Watford Burnley game. Watford Burnley. I think this one, arguably the most important match this weekend in terms of direct table implications in this one, one that I think that Burnley are going to take pretty handily. Um, I think that Burnley have shown recently that they're going into a little purple patch of form, something that we knew Burnley could do. And if they keep Vert Veghorst scoring, I think that they're going to win this game two to nothing and out of class Watford. But then again, we don't really know which Burnley is going to show up. The Burnley who beat Everton and who beat uh, Southampton or the Burnley who lost to Norwich. Costi. Tell me a little bit about what you can expect when the Eagles travel to play the Saints. Crystal Palace are a way better squad than that of Southampton. Crystal Palace have done really well in their last few games. I love the addition of Mateta and how he just is getting constant time on the pitch now. I I think that player is going to be something special in the coming seasons. Uh, And Southampton and Crystal Palace, although their form looks somewhat similar, I think I say Crystal Palace to nick this one to one and coming on to the Aston Villa Norwich game Villa squad who's really struggled recently, but Norwich a squad who is destined for the championship. This one, I don't think needs much introduction. Norwich look like the relegation zone beckons and this one, an easy win for Villa costy Brighton wolves. Brighton sitting in uh, at uh, 11th, while Wolves are at 8th. They have fairly similar form uh, coming into this game with uh, two wins uh, and one loss for Brighton, whereas there's two wins and three losses for Wolves in the past five games. I would predict Brighton to take this game just because I love Adam Lallana. What about Leeds United and Manchester City? You know what? You're going to call me crazy, but Leeds playing at home in a good run of form and a squad who have had Manchester City's number. They're a squad who has not been afraid to go at 
the citizens. So call me crazy. I'm predicting a Leeds two to one win with goals from Dan James, both of them. I, I really believe in this project that Jesse Marsh has going on and you know, every weekend needs an upset. And I think that this one is going to turn the tides of the title. Obviously, Manchester City one point ahead of Liverpool, but this one I think is going to cause a spanner in the work, something that I'm sure that you're happy to hear about Costi. But let's talk Leicester Spurs. I I want to see Tottenham uh, achieve top four because they're managed by Antonio Conte and the project at Tottenham was so hard when he came in and he's given it a little bit of life and Leicester not really looking to do anything in the league. So, you know, please roll over and let Tottenham win. So I'll go uh, a 3-0 victory for Tottenham and Kane and Son both having uh, two assists and a goal. What about Everton at Chelsea? The relegation um, elect versus Chelsea. Chelsea, as I already said when previewing the United results, are a little bit wobbly, but I don't think that this one should cause them any troubles. They did struggle to break down West Ham's low block. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Frank Lampard try and employ something to a similar effect, but we saw what happened when a big target forward came onto the pitch for uh, a squad playing Everton. And I think that this one prized for a little Lukaku and Werner action. The pace of Werner with uh, the knockdown ability of Romelu Lukaku should pose all kinds of problems that Everton just cannot deal with in this one. Costi Arsenal at West Ham. We talked about it a little bit, but just really quickly for those at home who might have missed that set that segment the hammers versus the gunners i want uh, arsenal to win this one to keep the top four race uh very very interesting but i think it's going to be a draw one one and lastly we have man uniting hosting brentford we're finishing off with a manchester united sandwich and brentford a squad who have shown that they have some life they've taken points off teams up at the top, and I expect them to do that again. I think Manchester United are in for a patch of uh, rocky form, not how they want to end their season. And Brentford, a squad who, you know, comfortable in the Premier League, but looking to make a statement here. And what better statement than heading up to Old Trafford and trouncing Manchester United 2-0, my predicted final score in that one. And that's going to do it. For the show this week, I want to thank you again, Costi, for coming on the show. Is there anything that you want to plug? I just want I want to encourage everyone to keep watching and listening to the Long Ball Preview Show and uh, going on to the Mastermind site for amazing tactical analysis. If you're one of the reading, uh, fan, uh, the the, the re- if if you're one that likes to read. Reese Desmond recently out on the Mastermind site with a really interesting article ranking the top five players outside of the top five European leagues. I highly recommend you check that out, but that'll do it. If you have any ideas for games or topics you want us to talk about on the show, please tweet at myself at DeBart14 or email us at site at gmail.com. We'll be back next weekend to preview all the action from the Premier League and talk about the European fixtures ahead of Manchester City, Liverpool, West Ham, and Leicester. You won't want to miss this. If you listen to the end of the show, we know you love it. So give us a five-star review. And if you really want to help us grow, please tell a friend about us. Have a good weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the football, and we'll talk next week.